Welcome to the Quantum Growth Podcast, empowering financial advisors to build practices for the 21st century by providing insights and interviews on leadership, strategy, and practice management. Now here are your co-hosts, Shenandoah Connor and Barron's Hall of Fame top advisor, Jonathan Cutton. Welcome everyone to the podcast. We're so glad that you joined us again today. Uh, Today we're going to do something a little different. So I'm actually going to ping it right back over to Jonathan to set us up. Jonathan, if you'll take over. Thanks, Shenandoah. Hey everyone, excited to be here. Great day. Um, Welcome to the Quantum Growth Podcast. And you know, what we're going to do a little differently today is I get to actually interview Shenandoah. So uh, I figured Um, We are spending uh, a lot of time together uh, as a podcast community, and you're hearing a lot from Shenandoah, and she and I realized that uh, we didn't properly introduce her, so we're going to take some time today to drill deep and get to know a little bit about Shenandoah Connor. So the first question, Shenandoah, that I'd like to ask, um, which I know the answer to, but I think the audience uh, would like to know is, why Shenandoah? Your parents obviously... Uh, you know, uh, pick the name Shenandoah. There's got to be some kind of kind of story behind that. Yeah, the first question I always get asked is, were your parents hippies? And my parents were the exact opposite of hippies. Just very, you know, my dad was a cowboy, grew up on a dairy farm, um, you know, the whole shebang. Uh, so everything you could think that goes with that. But it's actually a very, you know, very country, very um, historic name. My father, in addition to um, being a cowboy, was really into American history, especially military history. And the Shenandoah Valley in Virginia was a background for a lot of battles, both in the Revolutionary War and the Civil War. And uh, funnily enough, after he passed, I actually traced his family back to the Shenandoah Valley at the time of the Revolutionary War. Um, My mother, of course, was not that interested in that. Um, However, she was a huge fan of John Denver. And when she was pregnant with me, he had a song out on the radio about the Shenandoah Valley. So she fell in love with the name and the song, and it was the only thing they both could agree on. So that's how I got that one. I don't have a middle name. First one takes up enough. Um, I will say that Nobody in my family spells it the same way, including my parents. They each spell it differently from each other, and I spell it differently from them. So, uh, and then of course, all of my yearbooks from high school had different spellings in them, depending on who was in charge of the layout for that page. So, uh, you could see it spelled a million different ways. And uh, you know, I, you guys shorten it all the time. So I've gotten called many other things besides Shenandoah, uh, but that's the history of it. <laughs> no, interesting and well said. And. Um, I'm glad you shared that because I never know how to spell your name. And uh, as you know, I've started to just call you Shen because uh, <laughs> it's a little too <laughs> difficult to go through uh, Shenandoah. How many well, letters? Most are- of my family just calls me Shannon. So even my, most of my family, it, it used to be only when I was in trouble, the whole thing was used, but I started going by the whole thing when I got out of high school. So, yeah. Is it 11 letters? What is it, Shenandoah? Yeah, 11 letters. So you got to learn uh, most of the alphabet by just writing. Most of the alphabet, a lot of N's in there. It doesn't really fit on anything. Can't find a keychain or a Coca-Cola bottle with my name on it, but yeah. (laughs) Well, yep. Well, good. And uh, and again, it's a beautiful name. Um, You don't want to sing a verse from that John Denver song, do you? No, but I did have to sing Shenandoah for, uh, I was in choir in high school. 
And so we did have to sing it. And that was, and then we actually, for middle school, I went on a school trip to the Valley and all the teachers were trying to sing it. And most people who try to sing it can't, <laughs> they don't know the words or they're way off key. Um, so I just try to avoid it. I don't actually care for the song at all. <laughs> all right. Well, maybe maybe we'll get you the next time to do that. So, you know, I wanted to share the story quickly as to how um, how you became uh, the chief growth officer for Cut and Consulting Group. Um, you know, I met Shenandoah actually. Um, she reached out to me through a, a company. Um, called Key Management Group, who uh, I think uh, the founder of that company, Tony Whitbeck and uh, Legacy Advisors, I think is their sister company, uh, would probably be a great uh, you know, person to have on the show at some point as well. But I had purchased the practice in my wealth management firm. Um, and ultimately, Shenandoah was tasked with interviewing me and the seller um, on that kind of process. And um, I, I remember uh, that interview being really, really impressed uh, with how you thought about the interview and how professional you were about uh, kind of how you asked your questions and the, the kind of organization that led up to uh, the actual interview itself. And uh, I'm pretty sure by the end of that interview, um, we spent about a half hour with me telling you why you should come support my company as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> am I recalling that right? Yes. Yeah, like that it was at least 30 minutes of just a, and I was shocked but yeah the conversation quickly went to what is it that you do and how do you work and you started asking a lot of probing questions and then it turned into a follow-up call and another follow-up call and then okay let's try something out and then it just continued to grow and evolve from there yep and uh so I'm, I'm, I'm uh one of the best things that came from that acquisition was uh was having me meeting you and having you join the team so uh, you know, with that being said, um, just a tie in there, right, as a lot of advisors think about how to grow their organization, um, you know, I've always found probably 15, maybe 20% of my organization are actually folks that I've met socially, right, either socially or through other business contacts. I mean, I have a young lady who's part of our organization who used to work at the deli counter. Uh, and I thought she was super professional and sweet. And uh, she's, you know, one of the administrative assistants here in the office. So keep your eyes and, uh, and ears open because good people that fit your culture uh, are ultimately everywhere. So, exactly. So Shen, maybe you could just, um, just tell us a little bit about, you know, kind of your story. How did you get started? Uh, you know, kind of, I'll call it in the marketing business development kind of leadership world maybe you could tell us a little bit about your career track yeah and uh, my career track was very non-linear um you know is a nice way of putting it but i did start very early um as i said you know my dad was a cowboy so i was actually born on a dairy farm in the middle of new mexico more cows than people was where we originally lived. Uh, but for health reasons, my father had to leave the family business and went into sales for RV dealership um, in the big town over in Albuquerque. And uh, being that farming was always a family business, the RV world soon became a family business for us. And we were there every weekend helping out. I basically grew up with my dad teaching me um, you know, Dale Carnegie, Zig Ziglar, John Maxwell, he would put us through every training he had. He came home and put it, all three of us, I have two siblings, uh, through all the training. And by the time we got out of high school, we could sell Eskimo, uh, you know, ice to an Eskimo. We were pretty darn good at sales and marketing. Uh, my dad was also just a natural communicator, really great 
right the self-taught man but just understood people could really just get anyone to open up and talk with him and trust him really good at writing letters and communications and just influencing people in that way and since i had a natural knack for public speaking and for writing he taught me a lot of what he knew so i would do a lot of their sales letters and their customer letters um, on an old word processor. I, this is the 90s, so before my computer days. And I evolved and learned as the technology came out and, uh, you know, kind of just grew up always doing it on the side. I didn't get really serious about it, though, until um, I found myself as a single mom with a four-month-old baby, and I had to figure out I didn't have a formal career or formal education at that point. So I started a business doing sales and marketing consulting and went back to school at the same time and got my degree. Steadily built up consulting business, turned into a marketing agency. And then while doing that, I got um, some fractional CMO roles for a couple of growing companies. They were small businesses that were on the cusp of kind of going that good to great zone, but needed some help. So originally brought on board just to help with branding and marketing. Um, one was a lender service provider. So that got me involved in the financial services industry. They worked with a lot of financial advisors getting SBA loans as well as working with other lenders and things. Um, and then also, you know, on the opposite end of the spectrum, I was a fractional CMO for a family landscape company. And so between both of those, I soon found myself, you know, kind of being the go-to person for solving problems and figuring out how to do things outside of just the marketing and branding component. So digital transformation, building out systems and processes, and uh, eventually learned that all these extra projects I was taking on fell under this umbrella of organizational development and change management and kind of just evolved beyond your traditional you know, sending out newsletters and managing websites, kind of a marketing role. Um, and that's basically how I came, you know, in contact with you. I'd been doing some freelance work and doing some consulting work for a number of clients and uh, kind of handling a little bit of everything, <laughs> including case studies, which is why I interviewed you. We were doing a case study on the acquisition that you did and, uh, you know, just continues to evolve. And I'm kind of always continue to be the person who can figure it out or solve the problem and you know, I think that's a lot of what I do. You kind of, I get punted a lot of interesting projects from Jonathan. Y'all have no idea. <laughs> You're not kidding. And, uh, and somehow you make sense of all of my chaos, which is, uh, which is kind of a, uh, a neat um, skill set for sure. You know, you, you well, said somebody a lot. Has to do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly right. God knows I can't at times. So um, you said a lot of interesting things. You know, one of the things that struck me, um, you know, is kind of from, you know, selling campers to fractional CMO and, uh, you know, your own consulting company. So I love the fact um, that you were, you know, kind of what I would say would be kind of self-developed and self-made um, throughout the process. You didn't, uh, you, you had to go out and kind of learn it, uh, sometimes through others and coaches and things along those lines. So that's, really, uh, you know, tells, tells me a lot about you uh, as, a, as a whole. One of the things you mentioned, you talked a bit about your dad, which I thought was interesting. It sounds like he had a, um, you know, a big impact um, on you, obviously, and also on your career. One of the things that you, you one of the words you used, I'm not sure if you used it, was that your dad um, was really good at influencing, right? And um, mm -hmm. I'm a big believer that sales and leadership is all around influencing someone to do something that they wouldn't do without you. So, you know, 
I'd love to kind of drill down on that a little bit more. I mean, tell us a little bit more about kind of how you kind of learned some of those things from your dad. Yeah, a lot of it was, you know, just some folk wisdom. Again, he's just an old country boy. And so he just was coming from a very honest place of just wanting to serve people and help people. So he's very friendly. He was always the center of attention at a party um, to the point where, of course, he was a tall, handsome cowboy. Y'all know who Tom Selleck is, that my dad is a Tom Selleck lookalike. Or, or was, I'm sorry, he passed away a few years ago. But um, so, you know, the women would chase him around the party with mistletoe to my, to my mother's chagrin. Um, but he just had this natural magnetism to him already, but he was constantly learning. He was a self-taught man as well, didn't go to college, um, you know, just was a, you know, a farmer, but never stopped reading and constantly learning. So he was always picking up new um, tricks and understandings about human nature and what motivates us and would teach us a lot about that. And even when I was getting my undergraduates in economics, and that's pretty much the same thing, is just kind of understanding what motivates people, what incentivizes them, why do they act certain ways? Um, and then, you know, what can you do to help them, you know, guide them to, you know, whatever direction they need to go to, not in a manipulative fashion, but really coming from the understanding of, like you, you use your Woody Woofy all the time, what do you want for yourself? but kind of answering that for them. What do they want for themselves? What problems are they having? What goals do they have? And what can you do to help them either solve that problem or reach that goal? But you first have to start by getting to know the person and, and know what those are. What are their pain points? What are their values? What are their goals? And yeah. so that was one of the things he always taught me. Yeah. Sounds like a great man. Wish I had the opportunity to meet him. Um, Tom Selleck looked like must have been a good looking dude as well. So uh, that's uh, that's great. And it sounds like it. Like I said the ladies loved him. So. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like you guys had a nice relationship and he had a, uh, you know, a tremendous impact and kind of shaping who you are, which is uh, fantastic. And I love what you said about, um, you know, that you, you know, kind of paraphrase using influence for good, right? So, you know, mm -hmm. there are folks who can be influential and not necessarily use it for good reason. And I think, you know, the advisors listening in here could connect with that, you know, our job, I tell my team and those that I coach uh, often that you know, our business is not, in my opinion, uh, about, you know, rate of return and picking the right stocks and bonds and, you know, mutual funds, ETFs, of course, that's part uh, of what we do and what our clients value, but it's really about influencing clients to make good decisions when it's not easy mm -hmm. to do so, right? And as we kind of right. live through this COVID and all that's going on in the market, um, you know, influence those advisors who can really influence and coach uh, their clients and their staff and their team seem to be winning uh, at a much better pace than those who don't have that skill set. So it is a really important skill set. You know, one of the other things I heard you mention um, was kind of your background with organizational development. And I remember you telling me about that the first time and me not fully, fully connecting on it until we really got to know each other a little bit better. Um, but I love that skill set um, that you have as a business person. Maybe you can just share a little bit about how you learned about uh, organizational development, really what it, what it is. 
Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, the foundation for that came from when I was doing my fractional CMO work because I kept running into this problem where I would come in and I would put in all of these um, marketing initiatives and I would rebrand the firm because they wanted to grow or they wanted to reach a higher caliber of client. And I would do that and these either more customers would come in the door or better customers would come in the door and they would just fall on their face because they weren't ready to actually serve either a greater market or a different market. And, you know, then of course me being a problem solver, okay, what's going on here? Oh, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is what we would need to change. And of course I would point it out and they would just look at me and be, well, could you do it? <laughs> so I would get in there and start figuring out, okay, what does this need? And it really came down to, again, developing an organization on purpose making sure that all the right systems and processes are in place and managing the change from where they are to where they need to be, to be able to become this company they're trying to be to either attract more clients or serve a better client. Um, so I kind of fell into it on accident. And finally I did run into a consultant who was asking my background and he said, you know, that's organizational development and change management. That's what you're doing. And I hadn't, didn't know it had a name. I just kind of was the catch-all person. Um, but I did some research and actually ended up going for my master's in organizational development at leadership um, here in San Antonio. And, uh, you know, got the formal training behind it, understanding it, and found out that one, a lot of marketing professionals are moving that direction because at the heart of it, a lot of it is about understanding people, understanding behavior and how to influence that behavior, um, as well as communications. So we need to be able to create a plan and communicate that plan to everyone and be able to keep them motivated and guide them throughout the whole process. And so that's part of where it just kind of all of my natural talents that I've been developing in sales and marketing, I was able to have a greater impact on an organization outside of just sending out another email or making another blog post or, you know, you know, another fancy campaign, but actually making real dramatic change that's going to help the bottom line and help move the organization the direction it needs to go. Um, and so that's kind of how I evolved into that. And that's part of where the chief growth officer comes into play is I'm not just, again, designing marketing campaigns and doing the branding. I do help a lot with the systems and I do help a lot with both the, you know, that influence organic and inorganic growth as well as just you know, making things run better and just continuing to help influence the organization in a positive way. No, lo love it, well said. And um, you know, I, I have a saying, you know, there's two ways to grow a business, right? What, one is um, what I would say, the old field of dreams, right? Build it and they will come. Um, and the other is kind of been my philosophy in business, quite frankly, up till recently, which is kind of make them come and then build it, right? And I think- right. Um, one of the things that I've learned as a business person, I'm sure some of the folks here uh, listening in can, uh, you know, can reflect in their own uh, way that they've built their businesses. I feel like a lot of advisors get to this point where they, they're too busy being busy with their practice, right? And that kind of gives them this thought process that they can't spend time marketing and growing and bringing on new clients and have that time. And I think um, you would you know, likely agree that when you are systematized and process driven uh, and you really have an organization that's kind of a fine tuned machine that knows 
um, how to provide what I like to call the right amount of value for your pricing structure, mm -hmm. right? Sometimes advisors or all businesses, quite frankly, um, either don't provide enough value for their pricing, which is obviously a big problem. Mm -hmm. But I find a lot of times is we, we actually do too much for the money um, and provide more value many times than the customer or client uh, even expects. So I think uh, when you can build that back end, and, that, and that's what I love about working with you, Shenandoah. And uh, I think there's a lot that you can teach our audience uh, as we kind of continue to build upon our momentum here, just in not just how to bring business in the front door, but how to absorb it and do so effectively uh, you know, with the right system and process. So I think that that makes a ton of sense. You, know, you mentioned that I yeah. mentioned before that chief growth officer role. Um, for a lot of folks, um, they might not even know what a chief growth officer does. So what what do you do as, as the chief growth officer of Cut and Consulting? Uh, well, in simple terms, I help support both the organic growth, which is, you know, your traditional marketing efforts, and also our inorganic growth, which is through our recruiting, our CPA partnerships, and our acquisitions. And so... Again, that comes down to um, what I call the four pillars of scale and which, you know, we can dive deeper. I think it's a whole other podcast in its own, but making sure that we've really honed in on what the, the product is. So, you know, what are we offering? Um, making sure that we have the right people in place, you know, to execute on that and then getting those processes and systems in place to be able to launch, scale, grow, whatever we need to do, and then the promotion. So having all the communications around that so that we're feeding all of the channels on a continu uh, consistent basis with the right messaging um, for that specific audience or what we're trying to achieve. Uh, so that's the simple version. The uh, reality is it's a, it's a lot of cat herding. Um, you know, it's cliche, but it's true. It's a lot of trying to um, just chase things down and figure things out and problem solving and uh, building as we are in motion, basically. <laughs> yeah, that, that is for sure. You know, as you think about some of your role, um, you know, one of the things that I, I feel as if you provided a ton of value that we weren't um, all that good at, um, you know, maybe you could even call it bad, uh, when you came on board is kind of how to leverage marketing technology, social media, email, um, you know, things along those lines. Maybe you could talk a little bit about kind of how you can see um, advisors leveraging those type of tools. Absolutely. And I think um, people misinterpret uh, or, or just have this negative image about technology and marketing technology in their mind because they're not using it properly, but either one, they're afraid of it because the back ends can be a little scary. They're not all user-friendly. Some are, some aren't. Um, and so it just looks new and different and it, you know, anything new or different just triggers that innate fear in us. It's our lizard brain kicking in, but it's really designed for it to be used. There's lots of resources and information out there to train you. All I taught myself literally by just reading user manuals and reading the, the help sections of all of these things and uh, a lot of Googling, <laughs> you know, the information's out there. You can learn this. You're not going to break the internet. You can get in there and play. Um, but they also get overwhelmed by the volume. Um, there's so much information out there and expectations, you know, how often you're supposed to be blogging or posting or how many social media channels you're supposed to be on. Um, and really it's, that's, not the case. Um, first of all, 
I'm all about consistency over um, volume and quality over volume. You want to make sure that whatever you're doing it, you kind of have a rhythm that you're going through, whether it's weekly, bi-weekly, whatever it is that works for you and your schedule, um, because this is something that's part of all everything that you're doing. It's not the only thing you're doing. Um, and then just putting out quality versus just trying to fill a, a calendar or feed a schedule, um, that's more important as well. So saying something that matters, making real connections, all of that's more important. But really these are just, they're just tools. They're just communication tools, just like a telephone, just like you know, pen and paper, just like email. They're just a form of communication, that's all it is. And you don't need to be on all of them. Just focus on the ones that you A, are comfortable with and just B, are naturally good at, um, but C, where your customers actually are. Um, you know, not everybody needs to be on every single social media channel. I just stick with a few myself because I just don't have the bandwidth. Um, you know, I don't play with Instagram. I, I don't, I'm just mostly LinkedIn and Facebook, like Instagram and Twitter. I just don't even bother. Um, and then yeah, Snapchat, all those others, like I don't even bother. Um, so first, you know, just kind of stick with what you're comfortable with and where it's just a good fit for you and what you can manage time-wise. But then also too, technology has really evolved to where it automates so many things for you that it allows you to amplify your reach and create this sense of um, increased frequency and, and um, you know, volume without you actually having to spend more time or constantly logging on and off. So I do leverage a lot of tools that have built-in automations where I can build a system, I build a process, there's some front-end work, but then it just works for me moving forward and it continues to build and grow organically on its own. And then I use scheduling tools for social media and for email as well. I can sit down and batch things out, get everything knocked out for several weeks at a time, instead of having to constantly be on social media every day. Uh, I don't constantly monitor my feeds and constantly check and obsess over likes and responses. I do respond if someone comments. Um, but other than that, I kind of set it, publish it. I don't have a bunch of alerts coming up. Um, and I just really communicate when I do have something of value to share. I'm not trying to fill a void just to fill a calendar slot, you know. Um, so really just keeping it down to that and just don't feel pressured by all of the uh, other quote unquote experts out there that are telling you to blog, you know, four times a day and that you have to be on 10 different social media channels because that's, it's better to be effective on a one or two channels than it is to be ineffective on 10. Yeah, no, agree. And, and obviously we've, we're learning a lot of this from you and it's having a really nice impact on the business, uh, which is fantastic. And see, it seems like LinkedIn and Facebook, uh, I mean, would you say from a, for financial advisors, those are kind of the big two that you would focus your energy on? Yeah, um, because again, one, I think I um, had seen, there's something like several hundred new social media channels come out every year. And, you know, like all the rage is TikTok right now, or, you know, last year it was something else. And last, the year before that, it was something else. Um, but one, typically those big guys, which are your Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter tend to be your big ones. If something's worthwhile, they're going to buy it. So it's just going to get absorbed and see they're going to get bought and it's going to get phased out or it's going to get bought and incorporated as a feature on those channels. So I don't bother trying to learn a new technology anyways, just because it's probably going to either either that or it's not well run and it just dies so you know everybody might remember myspace i don't know <laughs> and some of the others that came before it 
Um, but Facebook and LinkedIn have continued to be really popular. Um, and their LinkedIn is really good for organically getting found. Facebook, you are having to invest a little bit more in advertising these days and doing a lot more aggressive um, marketing um, you know, in order to connect with people. There has been um, a few instances where Instagram has worked really well because Instagram's integrated with Facebook for the most part. Um, especially if you're, depending on what type of age group you're going after. So if you're going after a younger group that's a little more urban, um, those tend to be pretty, you know, active on Instagram. Um, but, and though too, I will say the platforms are very different in terms of what type of content you want to share. I actually had a, a conversation with our team about this recently. Um, Facebook is definitely much more lifestyle, personal oriented. LinkedIn is very much professional oriented and they like to kind of keep that separation. And there has been a lot of, of negative um, flack that's been coming back for people sharing personal information on LinkedIn or being too professional on Facebook, that there is that expectation. Like Facebook is where you share the vacation pictures and your kid's recital and what you had for dinner that day, but you don't do that on LinkedIn. On LinkedIn, you're sharing more professional type tips that's maybe a little bit more um, based around career or progression. Really, it's around career development. That's what it's primarily for. So being mindful about what um, is typically accepted as the way of doing things. Um, it doesn't mean you can't break some of the rules, but I know a lot of people are really getting a lot of pushback if they're getting too crazy breaking the rules on those platforms. No, great, great, uh, great answer and well said. I, I love the um, kind of the automation of it. You know, nothing makes me happier than to see a, a prospect schedule an appointment or, you know, call, call in or email. Um, and I didn't even know what was going on. So it's, uh, it's kind of cool when you get to experience that. And, you know, I would share as a, um, you know, as an advisor who um, is certainly not my, my strong suit is not technology and social media and, and that type of marketing. Um, I was always intrigued by how to kind of do this stuff, but I just didn't know how to do it until, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to, to connect here with you. And I don't know if you'll know the answer to this question, um, and there's no one quite like you. However, if, if you're an advisor looking to add someone with your skill set or you know a similar skill set, any advice that you might have on how to maybe get a fractional CMO or you know, find someone or any, any thoughts that you have? I'm not sure if you would. Yeah, I mean, so there, there are fractional CMOs that are out there that are available, and there are some that are, um, you know, industry specific for financial services. So I would just do a search if you're specifically looking for a CMO type role. Um, but they are, you know, everybody's going to be a little bit different in terms of what their specialties are and their strengths are. Uh, in terms of just kind of what they're going to bring to the table. So know exactly what you're looking for beforehand. Some may be more, um, you know, centered towards traditional PR, which is, you know, getting your media placements and things like that. Some are better oriented towards digital marketing. Some are better B2B. Some are more B2C. Um, so really have a sense of what you're looking for. Um, I'd also be mindful about um, sometimes it is hard to find 
this diversity of skill set in one person, um, especially if you're a smaller company and you're just growing, you might not be able to afford someone that has a more advanced skill set or diverse skill set. Um, so you might have to piecemeal that together with a couple of different freelancers or something to help you solve those problems. But I'd also say, you know, be open-minded. Like I know, Jonathan, you talked about this earlier. One of the things I had to do is I, I created my own path because I couldn't get a traditional job um, because I didn't have, look, didn't look right on paper. I didn't have the, you know, X amount of years here and X amount of years there and this and this and this. Um, I've just always been a very strong problem solver and I'll figure it out. And so I feel like attitude and, and other types of skill um, and, and just, you know, having that I'll get it done kind of in stick is more important than how many years of experience someone has doing X, Y, Z. And you can always test them out um, on a project or on a short-term basis first. That's what you and I did is I kind of just handled, I didn't even take on everything. We just, okay, let's address this little piece here and do these few things first. And let's just see how we work together. And if I'm gonna be able to produce the results you wanna see, <coughs> excuse me. And uh, if I'm gonna, you know, if it's gonna be a good working relationship for both parties and if I can create value for you and if you can create value for me. So I think the old traditional approach of, you know, having a very rigid position with a rigid job description and trying to fill that with a very specific person can be very limiting. Whereas if you think, okay, these are the three problems I'm trying to solve and being open-minded and kind of just putting feelers out there to find someone who um, might be able to do this and, and be able to set up a kind of test run with them. Uh, you know, I think that's going to produce a better relationship than the old, you know, sifting through resumes approach to doing things. Yeah, no, agree. And that, that's what I, what I um, believe is there are, there are a lot of folks out there, um, not quite like you, but that have experience um, in, I call it digital marketing and, and all the social media type stuff that you were talking about and this kind of set it and forget it type process that, um, that consult, right? That that are open to spending, you know, it could be three or five hours a week on helping a smaller advisor, right? Actually uh, do this. So I know you're helping a lot of the advisors here in the Cut and Wealth team. Um, I know you're also engaged uh, with the firm I do some coaching for with Onyx Bridge Elite, uh, who's a, an RIA that uh, provides a lot of value to advisors that are uh, IARs as part of their organization. I know you've had a lot of success uh, beginning to work with some of their advisors as well and my team. You know, maybe you can talk a little bit about you know, kind of what, what you're seeing that really, um, you know, kind of works best when you're reaching out uh, and kind of getting an advisor started who might not have, um, you know, might not have a lot of experience or done a lot of this type of marketing. Are there maybe one or two or, you know, a couple of things that you'd like to get advisors started with? Yeah, I always start with really getting their email marketing game in place and running well. And that's where I started with you um, for a number of reasons. Uh, I don't like to invest all of my eggs in one basket, but I, I certainly don't put too much stock in channels I don't control. So I know a lot of people were heavily invested in Facebook and then when Facebook changes their algorithm, they're screwed and they can't get in front of people anymore. Uh, whereas your email list, you always own it. Those are, and, and your existing customers and your existing clients are your best market to start with. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. 
And so I always start first by making sure that they have a CRM in place, you know, a, a client relationship management tool that has email marketing capabilities. Sometimes that means putting two tools together. It depends on your broker dealer, what they already have in place. I know some use some form of Salesforce, but the Salesforce email marketing isn't robust. So they have to pair that with something else. Some people use MailChimp, Constant Contact, some of these other ones. Um, I personally use ActiveCampaign. That's my favorite um, in terms of just being cost effective and being able to have all the bells and whistles without being too uh, complicated. And what you do is you first make sure that you've got all of your existing customers in there and we start really um, getting clear with our segmentation. So what are our different groups, you know, and that way we can have really targeted marketing messages go out to them. And then we start creating first some marketing messages to go out on a consistent basis. So they're getting a regular touch point. And so instead of you sending out an email manually to, you know, several hundred clients, we can create a personal message that goes out to 500 clients at once, or it goes out to specific segments. If you have a group that you know has college age children, we're gonna send them this message. Or if you have a group that you know is doing XYZ, you have this. Or if you know an employer is downsizing and you've got people at this, you can send a message about you know rolling over their 401ks and things like that. So being clear about your segmentation, setting up these systems, and then also creating an onboarding uh, sequence. So either um, for onboarding new clients, being able to have a series of communications that goes out so that they feel like they're being welcomed into your organization, they're being communicated to, they're understanding what to expect, they're getting um, uh, soft touches about all the other things you can do for them, not a hard sell, but just these, you know, kind of gentle nudges along the way. And we start building this journey of communications for them um, to, to be able to be guided through. And then we built that for the uh, on a prospect basis. So how would we use this to go after prospects to be able to communicate to them? That's always where I start um, is it just email. It's one of the cheapest easiest, most affordable, and, and still one of the most viable marketing channels if you can use a system and set it up properly. And then from there, I start turning on the spigots a little at a time. I do change up a little bit based on each um, organization, their personality, who they're trying to go after, and kind of see where we're going to go next. But usually we start turning on, making sure like the website's up to date. That's your storefront. We want to make sure it's sending the right signal that it looks up to date, modern, um, and that everything's working and functioning. Um, starting to put communications out through there, through, um, you know, your broker dealer a lot of times has you know, a lot of content already developed that you can put out on your uh, own website, blogs and things, making sure we've got events coming up so we have ways to interact with them. I know a lot of things are virtual right now, but then we just start turning on everything else. But until you've got your email game really solidified, I don't feel like it's really worthwhile to invest in all these other things because all these other things, the goal too is to drive everybody back to that email channel so we can continue to have those recurring touch points with them and continue to be sending out calls to action for them to schedule a call or to read a post or attend a webinar or something that's gonna drive them to that next face-to-face -face meeting with you and which ultimately would lead to a new opportunity. You're not too passionate about that, are you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've just found, like, again, I've been doing this for, I mean, technically almost three decades because I started in school, like middle school and high school. So I started off where we were literally, I was licking envelopes, hundreds and hundreds of envelopes and sending everything by mail. 
and then to email and social media and all this. And I've just continued to see email stay pretty consistently viable. If someone's given you their email address, they've already said they trust you, they wanna hear from you. If they don't hear from you, but maybe once a year, you're losing an opportunity because you know out of sight, out of mind. But the more that you're being not annoying, you know, not sending emails every day, but you're sending valuable information on a consistent basis, you're going to stay top of mind. So when they do have a question, they do have a pain point, or someone asks them for a referral, they're going to be ready with your name at the top of mind because you've been communicating with them on a regular basis. No, couldn't couldn't agree more, and uh, we're seeing it work in in our practice, right, and other advisors' practices. So, I wish, and I'm sure a lot of advisors listening in uh, are thinking the same thing. I wish I had every prospect that I ever met uh, or was introduced to as a lead over my you know 26 year career. Um, the power of the, that data, actually, with the process behind it, is. Uh, isn't incredible. So uh, I'm a, a little late to the dance, but glad we're actually, uh, you know, beginning that dance and we're, we're starting to drive some really nice results, which is exciting. So, you know, Shen, we're just about out of time here. Um, you know, what I wanted to kind of close up with is just, is there anything that you wanted to share um, that maybe I didn't ask you a question or something that um, was on your mind that you might want to just kind of share with the, uh, the audience or any, any advice or anything at all? Um, well, one thing I'd like to share that we didn't specifically talk about is that whether, however you're approaching um, your clients, because we did talk about influence a little bit, and we did talk about seeing it from their point of view, um, is that I, that is something I feel like a lot of people really, really miss the point on is it's not about you, it's about them at that point, and you need to get to know them in a deeper way, not just that one-off meeting. Um, we talk about something called the customer journey or the client journey a lot in marketing. And the client journey starts long before they walk into your office for the first time. It starts when they are thinking about changing jobs, not when it's actually time for them to change jobs and they have to roll over their 401k um, or before they even get married or before they have their first child. You know, where does their customer journey start for them? And it it's always long before you enter into the scene, but the more that you can understand that and position yourself and speak to them in those moments, the more relevant you're going to become over time. Um, I would do this for um, hospitals a lot. And one of the things that we would say is, you know, the, the customer journey doesn't start the time that they walk into the doctor's office or walk into the emergency room. It starts from the point they have that first symptom. They start, you know, start having that itchy throat or their cough or, you know, they're just not feeling quite right all the way up until the point they finally do have 105 degree fever. That's several days later. And so what are they doing in that time leading up to them coming into the hospital doors? They're looking up information. They're finding out answers. So now you're seeing all these big hospitals have blogs and newsletters and magazines and things they're putting out because they realize the more that they can position themselves as you know, even before people get sick, but just preventative health. So how can you as a financial advisor start positioning yourself before they have an investment to make or they need life insurance or they need these other things? Can you position yourself as being able to be with them throughout every step of the journey and even 
their next generations every step of the journey. Because I know generational planning is a big topic right now and trying to get the next generation involved. They're not necessarily your target market from an AUM standpoint, but if you're trying to preserve assets and, and not let them leave the firm when you know someone passes away, um, that's a big thing, making sure you've got the next generation plugged in. But then also too, I definitely value someone who sees me and supports me before I'm, you know, the big sexy target to go after, you know, if it, and I also remember the people that wouldn't give me the time of day when I was, you know, it's the, the Julia Roberts thing when I, you know, and, and pretty lady, you know, if you just walk in and, you know, you, you missed your chance, you could have treated me like a person yesterday, but you missed your chance. So it's the same concept. Yep. No, I, I love it. I think, uh, I think you're spot on and, you know, we're just about out of time. So, you know, one thing I'll just reference, and I, I think maybe for a future podcast, um, it might be something that, that we want to bring someone on. You know, you think about what we're doing right now, right? So here we are on a podcast and, you know, to the listeners that are listening in, think about your journey in getting to know Shenandoah and I, right? Um, so, you know, this is part of that process. I know one of the things uh, Shenandoah has encouraged me to do, which we are in the process of building uh, as we speak actually, is for my wealth management practice to actually uh, build its own podcast as well, which brings along with it, not just the content of the podcast, but the ability to then create contact, uh, content based on the conversation on the podcast and what we would be teaching our clients and prospects, et cetera. And that's a great way to actually fill an advisor's social media. So I know we've got a, a, a great group that's uh, supporting us with that. Um, and I think they'd be a, an outstanding, um, probably out of my element, that one I might just allow you and and uh, and them to yeah, talk that, through. That falls in the technology realm right there. So yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> Please no, but that was that was my way of sharing with you. I think we should get them lined up uh, as well, and maybe have them come join and talk a little bit about how they help financial advisors, uh, you know, produce their own podcasts. Which, uh, you know, in interviewing some advisors who've used their services, it's having a, a tremendous impact. So I'm I'm excited to get to the finish line with that one and uh, and bring that out to our prospects and clients and kind of build that. Uh, that micro niche in uh, in my community. So Shenandoah, um, I actually don't know how to wrap these things up because you're usually wrapping them up. So um, while probably not appropriate, I'm going to ask you to bring it home. That's okay. I'm used to that anyways, just kind of taking the ball and run with it. So yes, we appreciate everyone listening and we hope that you uh, were able to get some uh, insight and some value as to where you might be able to start fine tuning your marketing and thinking about uh, that role that marketing can play outside of just your traditional advertising and communications roles, um, as well as just getting to know the voices behind the scenes here. And we look forward to bringing you some more great interviews and topics next week. Thanks Shenandoah, not surprised, but you killed it today. So uh, thanks for doing it. Thanks everyone for tuning in to Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors. Make it a great day. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find the episode show notes and subscribe for updates by visiting cuttonconsultinggroup.com forward slash podcast. Make sure to subscribe and download the episodes on your favorite podcast app, and we'll see you next week.